Well, I don't know about you, if it's been just a tiresome week, it's really awesome just to be able to come in to church and just enjoy God. Amen? Just to enjoy the presence of God. You know, something happened last night that was uh, very interesting. I got a call from Keith and Sally Waterman. There was a church member, I mentioned him earlier, his name was Ron Squire, and uh, he was passing away. So I went over there. And I got to meet the family, and there he was at the hospice located in Houston. And we got to pray for him, and it was just a, a beautiful time. And it was very interesting. That very morning, I had read a scripture found in Psalms 116, and it says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. In other words, when one of God's people begins to pass away... God is there in a very special, precious way. And his presence comes upon that very uh, experience. And as we were praying, immediately the Lord just shot back into my mind that verse. And I realized as I was praying, I was praying for somebody who the Lord loved very deeply. And when you come out of an experience like that, when you see somebody pass away or, you know, you, you visit somebody at the deathbed, you oftentimes leave that situation thinking to yourself, how much heaven needs to come sooner, amen? You come out of those experiences thinking to yourself, I just cannot wait till Jesus comes back until we get to enjoy the glories of God and be reunited with our loved ones. Can you say amen to that? And oftentimes on Sabbath, I like to do something special with them around a, a small group. I like to ask people what is going to be their favorite things about heaven. What is going to be their favorite things about heaven? And I'll hear all sorts of responses. I'll hear somebody say, man, I cannot wait till we get to see Jesus. Amen? I heard somebody say this, I cannot wait till we get to, to play with the lions. Somebody said, I can't wait till we just soar through the universe and see all that God has created. I actually heard a young man say about a few weeks ago, and I think he was about, uh, where is Jen? Jen Ko? He's playing the violin. Where is he? How old are you? 11 years old. He said the most remarkable thing. He said this, very intelligent. He said, oh, I just cannot wait till all the stress of life is over. I, I mean, I was just astounded. I just, and I was thinking to myself, man, can't wait to get older. <laughs> but uh, it was just exciting just to see, you know, everyone being involved and just participating in this event of, of just thinking about heaven. I really believe that every Sabbath we should spend some time talking about heaven, studying about heaven. Amen? It's going to be our eternal home. We're going to spend the majority of our life there. Amen? And so it should be very... Uh, I should say, it should be something we should think about more often than we actually do. More than just waiting until the Sabbath comes to an end or till we can't run to Blockbuster Saturday night. We should be so excited about this Sabbath. Amen? You know, there is something uh, you learn in school and it's called a fire drill. Has anybody ever participated in a fire drill? Good. You're part of the American education system. They don't do these things in India. The house is on fire? Okay, it's time for us to leave. But it's really good in the American education system. You learn growing up that whenever you hear the woo or the 
I don't know how it sounds. But whenever you hear that fire drill, immediately it just catches you off guard and you think to yourself, what? And for a moment, you're like a deer caught in headlights and your teacher says to you, we are having a fire drill. And so everybody's like, all right, we get to get out of class. And so they all get up and they begin to make their way out of class. And they're all lined up there and there they are in the field. Mr. Dunbar probably can give us a lesson on this. And there they are, and it's exciting because they're missing 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes of learning, right? And we've all been through fire drills, right? And as you're going through the fire drill, you get back into class, and all of a sudden the bell rings, and you realize, oh, lunchtime is here, right? And we always think about fire drills. Whenever fire drills are actually happening, we think to ourselves, what if the real thing happened? What if the school actually caught on fire? What would we do? Well, we'd all be getting into line, and we'd all walk out, right? The teachers and the parents and the principal prepares us for these things. And it's very, very good. They should do these things. It saves the life of kids. Amen? Here's the thing. When you think of fire drills, fire drills are simply this. It is preparation for the real event. It is preparation for the real what? Event. In other words, preparing... Doing this fire drill will prepare you for the time when there is a real, legitimate danger taking place in school. Amen? Fire drills are preparation for the event that's going to take place. Folks, take your Bible. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah, thank you so much. Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66. And when you're there, go ahead and say amen. Isaiah 66, let's start with verse 22. Isaiah 66, starting with verse 22. And please say amen if you're all there. By the way, this is going to be a Bible study. I didn't have time to do PowerPoint, so we're going to look at some interesting verses. And I promise you this, you're going to learn things about the Sabbath that you have never heard before. Isaiah chapter 66, starting with verse 23, or 22. Now watch what the Bible says right here. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new what? Moon to another and from one what? Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before what? Me. I want you to pay attention to what the Bible is saying. Notice the context. It starts off by saying, regarding the new heavens and the new what? Shall remain before me, all flesh shall come at a certain moment and they're going to worship God on what day? The Sabbath day. In other words, the Bible teaches very, very clearly that there is going to be a Sabbath worship in heaven. Can you say amen to that? Now, regarding this fire drill analogy, what I was simply trying to state is simply this, that your Sabbath here is preparation for the Sabbath up there. The Sabbath you have here is preparation for the greater Sabbath that will take place in heaven. Can you say amen to that? Remember what I said to you two weeks ago? There's going to be no real foreigners in heaven. Now, this should surprise you coming from the only Indian in this church right now, except for Candy. Okay, now think about this for just a second. Anyone who gets to heaven will already feel like that place is home. Amen? 
Anyone who gets to heaven is already going to feel in some sense, I know this place. I know this place. And so what God is doing with the Sabbath day that we now have, he is preparing us for this magnificent superpower event that's going to take place in heaven, and it's the Sabbath in heaven. Now imagine that. Okay, now imagine this. This is so remarkable. What God wants you to learn about the Sabbath is going to prepare you for that awesome worship experience that's going to take place one day in the eternal heavens. Can you say amen to that? So it's very important that we study some things about the Sabbath that I really believe are going to give us some insight and some principles about that place, that, that experience that will take place in heaven. Can you say amen to that? Now take your Bible, let's go to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Now what's Exodus chapter 20? The 10 suggestions, right? The 10 statements. It's the 10 commandments. Exodus chapter 20. I sound like a preacher from the 1980s. Exodus chapter 20, starting with verse 8. Are we all there? Exodus chapter 20, starting with verse 8. Remember the what? Sabbath day to keep it what? Holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the what? Lord your God, in it you shall do no work, nor you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Now watch verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the what? The heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and what? Howled it. I want you to pay attention to a few things, okay? Number one, God gives the reason for the Sabbath day. It's to celebrate that God is the what? Creator. In fact, the wording that's used is because he created the heavens, the earth, and the what? See, now do not forget that, that phraseology, okay? God created the heavens, the earth, and the what? See, the Bible states we should keep the Sabbath holy because we believe that God didn't just sort of uh, allow earth to come into existence through natural means. He created it. Can you say amen to that? In fact, the one great thing that separates God apart from all other creatures is that he is not a creature. He is not a created being. He is the creator. Can you say amen to that? So notice what the Bible is teaching. It's pretty simple. It's teaching this, that the reason why you keep the seventh day holy, by the way, did you know that when God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, this was in a pre-fallen world? Now you think to yourself, you thought to yourself, wait a second, isn't everything perfect before sin came upon the world? Absolutely. Anything that God did was create complete in of itself. But God actually took the Sabbath day and made it holy in a world that had no sin. Which tells you something. God obviously felt the need to place a greater emphasis upon this 24-hour period, even in the midst of an unfallen world. So God gives the reason for keeping the Sabbath day. He says, look, it's because God is the what? Creator, right? God is the creator. In fact, this day, that if it was kept and worshiped, would set apart all of the worshipers. It would show very clearly who are the worshipers of God and who are not the worshipers of God. Now, why is that very important? Because when you actually study the Old Testament and into the New Testament, you find out that many writers of the Bible actually quoted from the fourth commandment. They would actually quote from the fourth commandment. 
And when they would quote from the fourth commandment, it was a way of saying, look, I'm quoting from this commandment to show you who the one true God is. Let me give you an example. Take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Let's go there very rapidly. Acts chapter 4. You probably have to get the CD or go online for this one. Acts chapter 4. Let's start with verse 23. And by the way, the context of this story was that Peter and John were standing before the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Holy Spirit spoke to them in such mighty ways that the Pharisees and Sadducees said to themselves, we need to let these people go. Peter and John go back to the series church. They're at the Wednesday night prayer meeting. And by the way, there's going to be a Wednesday night prayer meeting start this 15, 615, this Wednesday, and there's going to be a delicious dinner. Okay? It's called Wednesday in the Word. So the, these disciples go to prayer meeting, okay? They're so excited, and they're just like, praise God, praise God. And they just cannot stop talking. Watch what they say in Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own what? Companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made the heaven and earth and the what? Sea and all that is in them. Notice, what are they actually quoting from? They're quoting from the fourth commandment. Now, why are they quoting from the fourth commandment? They're looking for an example in the Old Testament where God is emphasized his power to speak. His power to what? Speak. So here are the disciples, and as they're thinking the right words to say to all the other disciples, they're thinking God is so good, he, and they're remembering the day that God spoke through them, to the Pharisees and Sadducees, where his power was manifested, they remembered and they said, ah, just like the Sabbath. And so they begin to quote from the fourth commandment. Now watch this. Take your Bible, go to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, if you're there, go ahead and say amen. Now this is the time that Paul and Silas were preaching to a bunch of Gentiles. Now Gentiles is just basically another word for somebody who's not a Jew. Gentiles worship different gods. In this particular area where Paul and Silas were preaching, there was a lot of Greek and Roman mythology. They believed in the Greek gods. You know, you take a class in high school and you learn about Greek mythology, right? You learned about Zeus, right? He's the king god. And then you learn about Hermes. He was the messenger god. And you learn about Athena and all these gods, right? And so here they are. And they're pre preaching, and there's a mighty miracle that takes place. And all the Gentiles, they get so excited, and they say, wait a second, this is Zeus right here. This is Zeus. And they're pointing to Paul, or Silas, because he's probably a little gruff-looking guy, maybe a little bit bigger. He kind of looks like a king. And they said, this is Zeus. And Paul was the speaker, so they said, ah, this must be Hermes. Now watch this. Take your Bible. Now look at that verse found in Acts chapter 14. Verse 14, but when the apostles, excuse me, not Silas, Barnabas, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their what? Clothing, ran in among the multitudes, crying and saying, men, why are you doing such things? We are also men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless what? Things, and what are those useless things? Idols to the living God who made the, now watch this, the heaven, the earth, the what? See in all the things that are in them. Watch this. What they're actually doing is quoting from the fourth commandment. 
Now, what did the fourth commandment do? It set apart the worshipers of God and showed them who they were worshiping, and it was God the what? Creator. And so when Paul and Barnabas are trying to think of what do we say to these Gentiles who have all sorts of gods, who are trying to make us gods, they say, wait just a second. And you know what they immediately remember? They immediately remember the fourth commandment. And so they start quoting from the fourth commandment. And they say, wait a second. God created the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all that is in them. They are quoting from the fourth commandment because they are trying to lead these Gentiles to understand something, that they themselves are creations and there's only one creator. And by the way, when you study the scriptures, you will find out that actually, not only was, not only was it writers of the New Testament that quoted from the fourth commandment, it was actually writers from the Old Testament that did the same thing. When they were trying to think of what to say, emphasizing God's creatorship, God's power, his ability to speak mightily, they would always come back to the fourth commandment. They would always come back to the fourth commandment, the seventh-day Sabbath. Now watch this. This is so interesting right here. This is so interesting. Watch what the book Desire of Ages says right here. It's so remarkable regarding the Sabbath. No other institution which was committed to the Jews tended so fully to distinguish them from the surrounding nations as did the Sabbath. Now, do you realize what she is saying? She is saying, look, the thing that set the Jews apart in the Old Testament from all other worshiping nations was the fact they kept the seventh day holy. And that's why Paul and Barnabas are trying to think of what to say to these Gentiles, and they begin to quote from the fourth commandment. Folks, I want to talk to you guys about something, and that's regarding the seventh-day Sabbath. The seventh-day Sabbath. Brooke told me this one time. He said there are three types of Adventists, or three types of Christians, he said. There are Sunday keepers, there are Sabbath keepers, and then there are Saturday keepers. There are Sabbath keepers, there are Sunday keepers, and then there's Saturday keepers. Folks, I want you to understand something because this is so remarkable. The reason why the fourth commandment is just as important as all the other commandments is because God establishes his creatorship in the fourth commandment. It's the one commandment, by the way, it's right in the middle of the Ten Commandments, where you can exercise the first four commandments and the last six. It's the only commandment that loves you, that brings you into both loving the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbor with all your heart, soul, and mind. It allows you to bring those two together and participate in that. The Ten Commandments, specifically the fourth commandment, is something that God wants us to understand. Something so remarkable, by the way, when it comes to creation is this. Take your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. And what is Genesis chapter 1? What's it about? Creation. That's exactly right. Genesis chapter 1. I want you to see something very remarkable. Genesis chapter 1. By the way, I'm going to tell you sort of a, a dream that I have. It's just a dream is this. You know how, like, there are, let's say, when it comes to women, for example, and uh, women, some of you guys, uh-oh, Harry gets in trouble. Okay, women, for example, whenever a, a house is looked at, like, say, a house is going to be purchased, women many times will look at the house, they'll come inside, and they'll say, 
oh my goodness, it's gonna look so good if I put this vase right here and a picture of myself right here. And I'm gonna make the bathroom all pink for both of us. And you're looking at all these things and the, and the husband's thinking to themselves, oh my goodness. And the husband's thinking structural integrity. What's the structural integrity? What's the plumbing like? He's more concerned about the form. The woman is more concerned about filling it, right? My dream is this. I'm not just interested in just seeing a house full. One day I'm hoping to build my own house. I never had any construction background whatsoever. But I want you to think really deeply about this, okay? Some people are concerned about filling the house. Other people are concerned about building the house. But what God does in Genesis chapter 1, he not only builds the house, but he fills the house. He not only forms, but he fills. Now, what do we mean by that? Genesis chapter 1, I want you to see a very interesting structure right here, okay? Watch this. Genesis chapter 1, what you find in Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, God creates light. He creates what? Light. He creates light and darkness. He splits it, right? What you find on day 4, God does something remarkable. He creates the sun, moon, and stars. So God makes and then he fills. Now watch this. Day two, God creates the sky and the seas. And what does God do on day five? God puts birds in the air and he puts fishes in the, the sea. You know what God does on day three? It's very remarkable. God does this. He creates dry land and then he creates trees. And you know what God does on day six? It's very interesting. God creates land animals and then he puts, creates man. And where did man live? In a garden. So what you find in the book of Genesis, God forms and then God fills. God what? Forms and then he what? Fills. Now what's so remarkable is this. This is powerful. The fourth commandment in Genesis chapter 2, it's emphasized. And what God does on the Sabbath day, he creates time and space, and then he fills it with his own presence. God creates time and space, and then he fills it with his own presence. And what you begin to understand is something so remarkable, is that when God forms something or makes something, he is bent on filling something. Amen? He is bent on filling something. And by the way, what day was man created? Six. And you know what he also does on the Sabbath? He fills men's hearts on the Sabbath, too. He fills it. And it's so remarkable because then you begin to understand something about the seventh-day Sabbath. You begin to understand something, and it's this, that God's presence is greater, and what God's presence wants to do on the Sabbath is to give you a powerful experience. He wants to fill your hearts and minds and lead you to begin to understand something about the seventh-day Sabbath, that this time and space, this frozen time, is a day where he wants you to step into it and allow him to fill you to the fullest. Can you say amen to that? To fill you to the fullest. And by the way, this is very interesting too. Did you know that in the sanctuary services, they had something called the show what? The show bread, right? And the show bread was basically bread that was made by the priest and set up on one of the altars. They would keep the bread there until the seventh day Sabbath. And you know what they would do on the seventh day Sabbath? They would take that old bread off 
And you know what they would do? They would place fresh, hot, piping warm bread on the altar. On what day? Sabbath. And by the way, did you know three times in the book of Exodus, it's called the bread of his presence, the bread of his presence, the bread of his presence. Now, why is that very interesting? Because when the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, you know where he quoted from? He quoted from 1 Samuel where David says, I want that bread. I want that bread. I want that bread. Folks, you know what God wants you to do on the Sabbath? He wants you to partake of the bread of his presence on the Sabbath day. The bread of his presence. And it's so remarkable because then you begin to understand, wait a second, it's not just a 24-hour period where I can't watch TV. It's more than just a 24-hour period where I'm just like, oh, it's time to come home from church. I ate a big potluck, and then I'm going to come home, watch 3ABN, love Doug Batcher. <sighs> and then you wake up and you're thinking to yourself, oh, who's making dinner? And you're looking at the clock and you're thinking, I cannot wait till Sabbath comes to an end. I'm going to race out to Domino's Pizza. Now we're chuckling and laughing, but I know the truth. And we're missing the point. Because if the only thing that distinguishes us on the Sabbath is the fact that we go to church on this day, folks, that's pity. That's pitiful. 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 Yeah, that's it. Do you miss my point? Did you, oh, my goodness. You got my point. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Chris. Folks, this is so important. You cannot miss this. The Sabbath has to be revolutionized. We've got to take a brand new look at the Sabbath. We've got to take a brand new look at the Sabbath. Because if that's all we're doing every Sabbath, guess what? The time is going to come where you're not going to want to do that anymore. It's going to come where you don't want to do that. God wants to give you a brand new experience on the Sabbath. He wants you to realize that the Sabbath is more than just this day where you don't work. It's more than just this day where you don't watch TV. It's more than this day where you just don't buy any. It's a day when you get to partake of the bread of his presence and allow yourself to be filled to the fullest. And by the way, you should read what Ellen White says about the Sabbath. It's very remarkable. She says this. She says, God does not wait for the Sabbath to end and answer prayers. Did you know that you can pray even more, and God will, I've seen it. I have actually seen it, where I pray certain things, and before the sun comes down, God says, I'm going to answer that prayer. God says, I'm going to answer that prayer. You're going to have to experience that for yourself. Folks, when you begin to really see the Sabbath, you begin to understand this is more than just this day. This is a powerful experience that God wants us to step into. He wants us to step out of Saturday keeping into Sabbath keeping. Amen? Into Sabbath keeping. Now, this is very interesting too, because we talked about the Sabbath where? In what? In heaven, right? But before we get into what that exactly means, I'm going to show you something very remarkable too. I think it's very interesting. Take your Bible, go to Isaiah 58. Now look at verse 13. Watch what the Bible says. If you turn away your foot from the what? The Sabbath from doing what? Your pleasure on my holy day. And call the Sabbath a what? Delight. The holy day of the Lord honorable and shall honor him not doing your what? Own ways. So we're not supposed to do our pleasure. We're not supposed to do our own ways. Watch this. Nor find your own pleasure. We already said that. Nor speaking your own what? 
words. Now watch the next thing, verse 14. Then you will, what's that next word? Delight yourself in the what? You know, many times somebody will come up to you and they'll say this. It's usually an elderly person. They'll say, son, do you know if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the what? The what? Desires of your what? And we're always thinking to ourselves, like, yeah, delight ourselves in God. I want the desires of my heart. And you begin to scratch your and you're like, how do I delight myself in the Lord? Folks, the Bible is telling you, start keeping the seventh day holy. And the Bible says you will delight yourself in the Lord. Now notice this. It says don't speak your own words nor find your own pleasure. Don't do your own thing. What the Bible is simply saying is this. Find God's pleasure. Speak God's word. Seek God's way. Can you say amen to that? It's very interesting. If you look at the study Bible, the Ellen White study Bible, you also find a very interesting commentary where she says something so remarkable about Isaiah 58. When you read the end of Isaiah 58, it says this, that you will ride upon the high hills and partake of the heritage of Jacob. She says this, that God's people has not, have not still understood this. Apparently, apparently we still quite, we really still haven't partaken of the Sabbath experience that God intends us to. Which tells me something that I need to start praying and asking Jesus, Lord, how do you want me to do this? Because I go to church, um, and it's good. You should be going to church. The Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves so you can encourage one another. You need to go to church. But then when you're done with church, it's just like, what next? That's not God's plan for you. That's not God's desire for you. The Sabbath was never meant to be a burden. The Sabbath was meant to be a powerful experience where you could be filled and you come out like, oh, I am ready for this week. This is what God intended. See, we need to just move away from this, what we've been doing, and say, Lord, we need to start understanding the Sabbath. What is it that you want us to do? And you begin to understand something, that this Sabbath day was meant to be, now watch this, here it is, a missionary day. It was meant to be a what? A missionary day. Wait a minute, it's not just about me? It's not just about eating good food? And by the way, I am a fan of eating good food, Amen. Lasagna tastes extra special on the Sabbath. But God meant this day to be a missionary day. So I've got to have a missionary mindset. When you read Isaiah 58, you find out what God wants you to do. And as we head closer and closer to the end of time, what you will begin to discover is that God's church will begin to have a revolution when it comes to Sabbath keeping. When they actually start keeping the Sabbath, all of a sudden you begin to understand something. Jesus did many of his miracles on this special day. And what happens is God's people begin to have this missionary outlook. Hey, we're not just here just to hear the word of God and go home and watch 3ABN. Nothing wrong with 3ABN. I'm a fan of 3ABN. But God is saying to you, now as you're stepping into my presence, bring somebody else now. Bring somebody else. Bring somebody else. Folks, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you on this. Start asking Jesus what he wants you to do on his holy day. Can you say amen to that? Start asking Jesus what he wants you to do on his holy day. Now we're going to understand a little bit of this concept and see if there's anything in the Bible that talks about this Sabbath in heaven, right? There's only just basically one verse in the Bible that says we're gonna keep Sabbath in heaven, but is there any way else to understand what we'll be actually doing in heaven? There is a hint. There's a what? Hint. Do you want to know what this hint is? 
Amen? Look, you're going to be doing it for all of eternity. Might as well find out now, right? Okay, let's find out exactly what the Bible says and what the hint is about what will actually take place in the, ha in the new heavens and new earth when we keep God's Sabbath holy. Take your Bible, go to the book of Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel's very interesting, and the reason why it's very interesting is because God gives promises. God gives what? Promises. And God's promises are like his warnings. It's many times contingent upon obedience. It's contingent upon what? Obedience. God tells Ezekiel something very interesting. He says this. We're going to Ezekiel chapter 40. He says, if the people of Israel are faithful, I will set up a temple. He will set up a what? A temple. Now, this wasn't talking about the heavenly sanctuary. This was more in reference to an earthly, glorious temple had the Jews been faithful. In other words, what God was showing Ezekiel, he says, look, this is what I can do for you if you guys are faithful. And Ezekiel was to take this message and communicate it to the rebellious Israelites. And what God begins to show Ezekiel is a picture of what he could have done through earthly Israel. We're going to Ezekiel chapter 40. Look at verse 1. In the 25th year of our what? Captivity at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year, as you can tell, he writes things down, in the 14th year of the city was captured, on the very same day the hand of the Lord was upon me, he took me there. Now watch this, verse 2. In the visions of God, he took me into the land of what? Israel, and sent me on a very high mountain. On it, towards the south, was something that looked like the structure of a city. And now what God begins to show Ezekiel was a picture of what Israel could have become. Okay, this is very important. Don't miss this point, folks. If you miss this point, you're going to miss something so powerful right here, okay? He says this. He goes to Ezekiel and he says, okay, Ezekiel, I'm going to show you a picture of what Israel could be like if they are obedient to me and follow my commands. And he takes Ezekiel into vision and he shows them a city on a mountain. That's so remarkable. And what God begins to show, you read the book of Ezekiel, he begins to show him how Israel would become the center of worship for the entire world. For the entire what? World. And he begins to describe to Ezekiel the worship services. He begins to describe to Ezekiel what the new Jerusalem, or the Jerusalem, had Israel been faithful, would have looked like. Now watch this. Take your Bible. Go to Ezekiel chapter 46. And I want you to tell me what this begins to sound like. Ezekiel chapter 47. 47, okay? Look at verse 1, and I want you to tell me where you've heard this phraseology before, okay? Are we all there? Look at verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the what? Temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the what? East. So what does Ezekiel begin to see coming out of the temple? Water. So Ezekiel's like blown away. He has never seen something like this before, okay? Now keep going. Go all the way to verse 7. When I returned, there was along the bank of the water were very many what? Trees. Now pay attention to the phraseology of one side and the other. Wait a second. I've heard something similar to that before. 
let's keep going. Let's try to understand this, okay? Go all the way to verse 12. Along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of what? Trees used for food. Their leaves will not... I've heard something like that. And their fruit will not what? They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the... Now watch this. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. Some translation says leaves for healing. Now let me ask you a question. Where have you heard that phraseology before? Where? Revelation. This is so important. Don't miss this point, okay? What God shows Ezekiel is a picture of what Israel would have become had they been faithful, okay? And so what he shows him is this glorious picture of Israel. But did that happen, yes or no? No. Because the Israelites failed in their, what? Obedience. Guess who shows up? Jesus shows up. And because of his obedience, he begins to show us what the new Jerusalem will be. The greater picture because of his faithfulness. Now you're going to see this very clearly. Go to Revelation chapter 21. Remember what I said to you, the phraseology. We're going to verse 22. Watch as John is seeing into the future. He is seeing the new Jerusalem. Look what he says in verse 22. But I saw no what? Temple, therefore, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its what? Now that's very interesting because Ezekiel saw the temple. Now watch this. The city had no need of, its, of the sun or the moon or the shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it. Now watch this. The Lamb is its light and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its what? And the kings of the earth will bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut all by day. There shall be no night there. And there shall be... Bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall be by no means anything that defiles it. Now go to verse, chapter 22, verse 1. He showed me a pure river of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, and in the middle of the tree on either side of the river was a... Was the what? We heard the exact same language, but this time it's not trees, it's tree. Let's keep going. Tree of life, which bore twelve... Each tree yielding its fruit, what? Every month, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. Now, folks, don't miss this point. Now, this is just the last two verses, and we're done with this, okay? Do not miss this point, okay? So God says, look, because Israel failed, I'm going to send someone who's going to be obedient, and he's going to set up a new Jerusalem, something you have never seen. He uses the exact same phraseology, and he says, look, you're not going to have trees along the river of life. You're going to have one tree, and actually it's going to be on either side, and it's going to be the tree of life. And then he says, the leaves there are not going to fail. They're not going to wither. And there's going to be healing. He's quoting Ezekiel, exactly from Ezekiel. And he is saying, here's the greater fulfillment of what will happen to Israel if they are faithful to me. But there was something in the book of Ezekiel regarding the Sabbath. Go back to Ezekiel. I want you to see this. Ezekiel chapter 46, starting with verse 1. Are we all there? Watch what the Bible says right here. Thus says the Lord God, the gateway of the inner court faces towards the what? East shall be shut six working days, but on the what? Sabbath it shall be opened. And on the day of the new moon it shall be what? Open. Look at verse 2. The prince shall enter by the way of the vestibule of the gateway of the outside and shall stand by the gatepost. The Bible is describing this earthly glorious temple and the priest or the prince would have access to it. 
it would not be closed to him and he would enter in. But watch what else it says. The priest shall prepare his burnt offerings and his peace offerings. He shall worship at the threshold of the gate. He shall go out, but the gate shall not be shut until evening. Likewise, the people of the land shall worship in the entrance of this gateway before the Lord on the Sabbaths and the new what? Moon. In other words, what would take place in this earthly sanctuary? That on the Sabbath, the prince and the priest would participate in a special worship service for all the people of the land. Do you know what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1? It says, you are the kingdom of priests. The Bible says in Revelation 1, he has made us kings and priests. In other words, what will take place? The Bible seems to hint at this idea that God's people on this Sabbath, this heavenly Sabbath that will take place, will participate in its service for all the entire universe. God's people will be the ones who officiate on this heavenly Sabbath. And folks, guess what? God doesn't want to wait till heaven to start that now. Amen? He doesn't want us to wait till heaven to start keeping the Sabbath as he desires. Amen? to experience the fullness that he has. If you're somebody who's saying to yourself, Lord, I really want to experience the way you want me to. Folks, God is calling you today to let him. Amen? If that's your desire, brother, raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to keep the Sabbath in preparation for that one Sabbath that's going to be taking place in heaven and throughout all of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. God, for that, that Sabbath that we can look forward to well, we will sit at the feet of Jesus and participate in the worship services. Lord, where you will use us as priests, as ministers. Father, and we are so excited about that. Teach us already, Lord, and prepare us for that Sabbath, those Sabbaths in heaven. In Jesus' holy name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.